This week on Geek Explained, we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of Batman the Animated Series all month long. In our first installment, I'm joined by Maddie Washburn of the Watchtower Database to discuss the first season of this iconic series. Welcome to Saturday Morning September. Welcome back to Geeksplained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is the first installment of Saturday Morning September. This week marks the 30th anniversary of Batman the Animated Series, and to celebrate, this iconic cartoon is taking over the podcast for the entire month of September. We'll be dedicating each week to a different season of the series, as well as the films that spawned out of this show. And this week, we are kicking things off with Maddie Washburn of the Watchtower Database YouTube channel. I've been a big fan of their work. The entire team over there is wonderful. Uh, If you don't know anything about them, if you haven't checked out their YouTube channel, go check them out. Their channel is almost exclusively dedicated to the DCAU. They are wonderful, and it was so cool uh, having Maddie on the show to talk the production of the show, how I got started, and to just chat about how great that first season is. It's a lot of episodes. I think it's like 60, 65 episodes. It's not going to be a play-by-play of episode-by-episode. There would be way too much to cover in that, but Maddie did give a lot of insight into the production of the show, into alternate uh, designs, alternate actors. We do talk about the Tim Curry of it all, as well as some of our favorite performances, some of our personal favorite episodes from the first season. And just talking about how amazing it was that this show has stayed the test of time for over 30 years now. Uh, We also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. So make sure you stay tuned after the jump for that. But for now, let's roll right on into the main event, the main course, the untrait, if you will, as I, alongside Maddie Washburn from the Watchtower Database, discuss Season 1 of Batman the Animated Series. Years ago, 
Batman the Animated Series premiered and changed the landscape of superhero cartoons forever. And here we are, Batman the Animated Series, turning 30. And as someone who's also turning 30, I wanted to do a celebration of the show, talking about the show as a whole, talking about it season by season in a series that I'm calling Saturday Morning September. Each week here, we're going to be covering every single season of Batman the Animated Series, week by week, season by season, with doing a whole wrap-up in week four with the films. This week, we are kicking things off, season one, the beginning, the genesis of Batman the Animated Series, and I knew there was only one person I could talk to. I knew there was only one person that I believed would be the right person to have on to kick off this whole series. And I'm really excited to introduce onto the Geek Explained podcast, Maddie Washburn from the Watchtower database. Maddie, welcome to the show. I'm really excited for you to be on here. You say only one person, but you did ask me to bring James along. There were two people you wanted. <laughs> I said as an option. You you were you were the clear favorite. Don't tell him that. But like you were you were the person that I wanted. I, I said it's cool if it's both of you, if it's not, whatever, as long as I get you on the show. No, I'm actually very excited to be here. I Batman the Animated Series is an all-time favorite. Uh and for those who don't know, uh Watchtower Database is essentially a channel that is based solely around Batman the Animated Series. And everything that sprung out from that, whether it be Superman, the animated series, Static Shock, Batman Beyond, uh, we do a little bit of not that kind of stuff every now and then as well. But that is that's that's the bread and butter right there. You know, that is I feel like we have combed that world of superhero animation of, of like more thoroughly than most people would ever care to. And. <laughs> we still got plenty to talk about <laughs> for sure. And I'll, I'll be completely transparent here. Like I've been a fan of watch our database for years. Like honestly, your videos are some of the best. It's the ones that I always like point people to. Like I have a very, I, I have like a little like old school Rolodex of YouTube channels that I'm always like, Oh, you want cool shit to watch? You got to go through these ones. And it's just really cool to finally have you on the show and talking about something that is uh, is so fundamental to the way that we both do things. So you're the reason we get five new subscribers every couple months. I am. I limit it to just five <laughs> people. Every couple months, I'm like, okay, these five new people, they're like, hey, so how's your day going? I'm like, okay, great. It's so you're going to be wanna watching and subscribing to watch our database. That's how we start conversations when I meet new people. So no, that's that's actually really cool to hear because like I had been wanting to do, before even like meeting the other Watchtower database guys like I had been wanting to do YouTube for a while and now that I'm in it it is one of those things where it's like it's difficult to be like okay I'm working on the production <laughs> what is the quality of it at the end of the road because it's just like you see you see all of the 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 cogs and wheels spinning you know, in, in the production of it. And then so oh, it's always nice to hear that it's well received on the other end. Absolutely. And and honestly, I know how that goes. Like we've been doing episodes for this podcast for years at this point. And it's hard to see like the forest through the trees with a lot of that stuff. But as a fan, 
I really am, I really do enjoy the channel and I've been super excited and a little nervous to be like, Hey, could you come on my podcast? I really want to talk about stuff. And <laughs> it was, it was really exciting for me when you were like, yeah, let's do it. Oh, I'm always down to come on to things. Uh, because like I, I, I well, I, I deal with that same thing where whenever I reach out to people for like line reads or something, even sometimes if they're smaller than us, I'm just like, I'm asking them to do a thing and I don't, I ain't got anything to offer them other than exposure. <laughs> like, will they do it? Like, will they be okay with that? And, and so just to like make it easier for me is I, I've, I try to, you know, make my time available to people who want me to come on their things. Yeah. That way I feel like if I put that into the world, maybe other people will, uh, uh, bounce that same kind of vibe back absolutely so this week we are talking about season one of batman the animated series this is the one that started it all um premiered on september 6th and way back in 1992 it was literally just under a month after i was born i was born august 12th and so this thing's been with me for my entire life and with 65 episodes to get through, first, I want to talk about, do you remember how you were introduced to the series? Like, do you remember what episode you watched? Um, you know, I don't think that I do. I was when it started airing, I was just a little bit over a year old. Mm. Um, so I don't even know if I was watching it like that early on. But I do have a couple distinct memories of uh the last laugh that's the the april fools episode yeah. uh where it's it's shown that captain clown was a robot and i remember <laughs> that freaking me out as a little little child and then watching the joker like dangle over that uh, um i guess not not it's not a lava pit but you know in in yeah. a foundry where they have all that like molten stuff like kind of kind of sat with me uh for a while and I, I was just like you don't see this in cartoons too often and it's it's funny thinking about it in in that way from like just the childlike view because going back to those episodes today and that episode in particular is not a very strong one uh right. there's great music and, and and stuff like that but uh i don't know I don't know how much we want to get into the making of the show already right now, but well, I'm, I'm down to get into it if you are, but go ahead and finish what you were. Yeah. So there, there was in those, that early set of episodes, uh, what my understanding is, is that this was before Alan Burnett joined on as the story editor for the show. He didn't come along until uh two face part one. Mm -hmm. And before him, that job was occupied by a woman named Sean Catherine Derrick. Yes, um, cool. If you if if you look at her uh, IMDb credits, uh, you'll see she worked on stuff like uh, the Smurfs and Captain Planet and stuff like that. Uh, and she really had um, this want to put like social messages into. Uh, the episodes. And, and so that's why you'll see stuff like uh, the underdwellers where it deals mm -hmm. like uh, child abandonment or stuff like the forgotten that deals with 
you know, chain gangs and stuff like that, homeless people and like what could Bruce do to help kind of stuff like that. But while putting messages like that is is great in the shows and I encourage it, um, she didn't know a thing about Batman. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and that that's not that's not. That's not just hearsay that has been confirmed in interviews over the years is she applied for the job and was asked about what she knew about Batman and, and, and lied and said that she was a huge Batman fan <laughs> and went home and did a crash course on the 60s show, oh. which is not what anybody wanted no. <laughs> In, in the new Batman animated series, they wanted to do, you know, they were they were riffing off of Tim Burton's 1989 movie, mm-hmm. uh, Dark Knight Returns. It's was it is it is I always get Dark Knight Returns and like Dark Knight Rises mixed up in my heads because it's the same. Yeah. Uh, uh, acronym or whatever. I think it's Re- Returns. Returns. Frank yeah. Miller. Right. Correct. Yeah. And so so, you know, everybody who was working on it wanted to bring it up to that level of prestige. Mm-hmm. And she's in here like, we should put a recycling bin in the Batcave, and, and 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 maybe at some point we should give Batman a dog so he seems more manly, and <laughs> this, that, and the other, just going off of what little bit she knew from the '60s show, and so that's a that's a lot of why those earlier ones will have the bumps that they do, and and not mm-hmm. be as up to snuff, uh, but then eventually they got Alan Burnett to come in. He was working on DuckTales at the time and his contract ran out with Disney and they said, you know, they had been trying to get him in cause he had worked on uh super friends and stuff like that beforehand. Right. Uh, he's responsible. I think specifically uh, one of the main ones from super friends that he's responsible for is that one uh, I, you've probably seen the gif of it where Batman's just crying Uh, like had dealt with the scarecrow and just starts crying. I think they had like gone into his, uh, his origin story and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the more beloved super friends episodes because they were able to get that emotional pull. And so they wanted Alan because of that. And because Sean wasn't working out too well. Uh, anyway, that's the long way of saying that's why (laughs) those earlier (laughs) ones were, uh, you know, not quite up to snuff with the, uh, with the rest of them. Not to right. say that there weren't great episodes before Two Face as well, because there's you've got on leather wings oh, for as, sure. right out of the gate. And well, and it's interesting to me too because I I did want to bring uh, Sean Catherine Derek up just because I don't think everyone knows this, but if you are in the know, the original airing of these episodes was not in the order it was supposed to be in production orders and all that me. stuff. So. <laughs> The first episodes that were dropped were uh, Sean Catherine Derrick episodes, Cat and Claw. And right. that's a big deal for that to be like the first introduction for people to your show. And so, I mean, regardless of like you said, the bumps and everything, it had to be it had to mean something that her episodes were at least in a way strong enough to say, OK, we're going to lead with this and then start getting in stuff that we really really actually kind of like yeah i mean like there were definitely bumps with those for sure but like at the same time everybody else uh you know regardless of of 
she, you know, she's a story editor. She's not, she's, right. she's the one who goes through the final pass. So, I mean, there's still going to be good stories to be told. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and on top of it, just because of the level of prestige that they were bringing in the art side of things, like, yeah, you still and got I- so much quality stuff that like, you can look past some of the writing, but for sure. I did want to talk about some of the other writers on the uh, on the show because we had some heavy hitters. I mean, obviously, everyone knows Paul Dini. Um, Bruce Tim helped out with a lot of the story structures, though the writing. Looking at some of the names, like you have some big time. You mentioned Alan Burnett. Like we have some big time comic book writers: Len Wein, Jerry Conway. Like they brought in some all star sure talent Denny to write O'Neill on the came show in and did a couple. Of yeah. his own episodes as well, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, but there's there was there was a level of I keep saying it. There was a level of prestige to to almost yeah. everything that was going on here. Uh, you've got Randy Rogel was writing mm-hmm. for the show, and I don't I don't know if that's anyone who's like pops out uh, for you automatically off the top of your head. But he was responsible before this for doing some of the the more known Animaniacs bits. Um, we interviewed him a while ago, and he's he's responsible for like the Countries of the World mm. uh, Animaniac song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so he had come over here. Um, like you said, you've got Paul Dini who reinvented so many characters like your right. Mr. Freeze, your your Mad Hatter even. Um, and he was also responsible for starting to, I guess, build the scope in that he was the one who brought Zatanna into the right. series, you know, wanted to play with other other toys in the DC sandbox. He tried doing a Sandman episode at one point. I heard that, about uh, that. Yeah, never never made it all the way through, but he put the uh he put the story outline for it in his um in his autobiographical comic he did recently, uh Dark mm-hmm. Knight a true Batman story. Right. And it's it's fascinating to me because like you see a lot of stuff tried on this. Like they're trying to do some new things like to set itself apart from other shows that had come before or shows that were going on at the time is a little bit more adult oriented. There was like, there were like, at least I don't remember growing up there being a lot of shows that had like guns and blood and like actual, like fighting with punches and kicks. Like I still, anytime I think about the Spider-Man animated series. Yeah. I, I was always about remember to that say, edict. Yeah. It's like no punching. Say, contemporaries had, had difficulty getting around that. And I think I think a lot of it um, in regards to Batman is more so because they launched it as an afternoon show. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't airing necessarily on Fox Kids. It was it was I mean, they, they did run reruns over there, but it was airing in primetime. Yeah. And there weren't a lot of cartoons that were doing that other than like The Simpsons. Uh, <laughs> so they were able to get away with a lot more stuff not to say that there there weren't censorship problems here and there but you know i've heard writers from this show say that that some of the censorship problems like they would look through and see the scripts and be like well you 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 can't call it a gun you can't call (laughs) it a gun Uh, and so 
despite the fact that like nobody would say the word gun, it was just described as a gun in the script. Mm -hmm. They were able to just change that to dark deco weapon. (laughs) And then get away with it because that to the censors signaled, we are doing a gun. Yes, but it's a stylized gun. It's not yeah. going to be something that the kids are going to be able to get a hold of. That's why they went with, you know, Tommy guns on one end of the spectrum and bazookas on the other. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they wanted representation for all the guns. Want to make exactly. sure that they were all, all of featured. the ones that kids can't get a hold of at home. Yes. And I know that means that, that the, the, the number is dwindling every day. Oh God. Yeah, but you mentioned something that I do want to bring up, a dark deco. There's a big focus on when it comes to like the animation of it. It would set wildly apart from a lot of the stuff. And it's still, I think it helps in how it's aged. The fact that they do a lot of like, like film noir stylization. They've got like, I'm, I'm a sucker for like really good art deco. And so they combined a lot of like different influences, like 40s influences. My favorite thing, and I know a lot of people's favorite thing, blimps, police blimps specifically. Oh, absolutely. Gotta shout have out, blimps. shout out to Brian McDermott on the blimps. Exactly. And then just but, uh, like the the title cards and all this stuff, they talked about. I kept seeing that term dark deco brought up. Yeah, uh, so that that's a term that, as far as I understand, they created specifically uh, for the, the 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 way that they did the show. Um, but like you were saying, there were a lot of different inspirations that came up. Um, one of which, I don't know if you've ever heard of the comic series Mister X. Um, yes, I've never. I've I've never really read it or anything, but I I've you know looked into it briefly just because of how often it comes up in uh, conversation around behind the scenes DCAU stuff, and yeah. they based a lot of the look of Gotham uh, on the look of cityscapes from that cartoon. Interesting, but yeah, but in the early days of the show, and I I'm pretty sure this isn't a thing that went on the whole time. Uh, in the early days of the show. Uh, the background artist, uh, what, who was it? Was it Eric Radomski, I believe is his I think, name? I think that's the name, yeah. Yeah, well, because there's there's Eric Radomski and there's Kevin Altieri, and sometimes I get them mixed up with each other. Uh, <laughs> producer and director for, yeah. So it was Eric Radomski would, in the early days of the show, take, instead of doing background paintings like one normally would, where you get a white sheet of paper and then paint it all on there, he realized that they were going for a much darker tone in the show and started off with his backgrounds on black construction paper. That way, all the darkness you would want is already there. And then he painted uh, uh, around that. And, you know, like I said, that's not a thing that went on for the entirety of the show. I'm sure it had its its downsides as well as its plus sides. But you can tell just looking at some of the earlier stuff that it really did give a lot of a lot of weight and style to the city itself of Gotham. Yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting because like it's one of those Again, the art style is so distinct and so dynamic 
And I mean, I doing research for this series, like looking up just the amount of different uh, animation houses that they outsource to places like uh, Dong Yang, uh, Coco Enterprises. And then I uncovered this, like, I apparently it was this big, like, hullabaloo with Acom, this yeah. company that I guess, like, <laughs> was not good at the things that they did. Yeah, well, you know, Acom's not even the only one. Uh, mm-hmm. Because there was one episode that they farmed out to... Um, to one specific studio and I don't remember what studio it was uh, but it was a, an episode called The Count and the Countess that was going to mm-hmm. be one of the earlier ones going on. It had a production number attached to it and everything that was eventually taken by See No Evil mm. uh, which was a much later produced episode that then uh, was just slotted in to take, yeah, See No Evil is that right? Yeah, See No Evil is production number 15. Okay. Uh, and and so that's where Count and the Countess was originally going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bruce Tim sent it to a Japanese studio for complete pre-production work as an experiment. And he thought it would free up the in-house staff's time for better shows. Uh, however, the overseas studio, which I, looking at my notes, it doesn't look like was ever named by anybody i guess that's a professional way of doing it you know you don't, <laughs> don't so. want to you don't want to just say hey hey world these guys are real bad at the jobs <laughs> uh, but so the overseas studios took months to produce even character designs and a partial storyboard and those were drawn in a style too off model to be usable uh since production on the first season was nearing an end uh and with this uh, this episode had a troubled script and unacceptable pre-production work. The episode was killed when and when See No Evil was completed, it was either the 57th or 58th show finished, uh, it was assigned the lower production number slot that was left empty as a result of, uh, of this one being scrapped. Mm-hmm. So they had a couple bad uh, um studios that they worked with not just acom but we will never know we will never know what this one was but so many of the studios that they did work on have so much other stuff that they did that's uh that's incredible i don't know um i don't know if you follow along with jump on the bat wagon uh too much the no. uh the, the series that uh the podcast series that james is running with his friend brian uh, where James has seen the entire DCAU, Brian has not. Oh, uh, cool! But they have gotten to the point where they specifically refer to Sunrise uh, Animation Studio as the Cowboy Bebop people. <laughs> so That's... you know, there's there's <laughs> there's quality in the studios for sure. Well, and seeing some of the. Uh... I mean, just touching a little bit on the character designs, because there's a lot that I love when it comes to the designs that were made either specifically for this or adapting other characters. I looked through this um, 
it's it's this website art of animation and it was like just taking some of the like design and concept art for like batman the animated series and just kind of looking through some of the early passes is really fascinating to me like this uh specifically like looking through some of the early drafts of like this very like Dave Mazzucchelli year one looking Jim Gordon, um, this Dick Sprang looking uh, Riddler. And even, I mean, the Robin design, which was riffing off of the Tim Drake nineties costume, looking at one of this early passes, like it just being straight up the Tim Drake nineties costume. I think is is really interesting. Do you have any favorite uh, any favorite character designs from the show? Well, I mean, I th- I think I think first and foremost, you got to give it up to uh, the Mister Freeze design. Absolutely, that was that was uh, the original pass on it was done by Mike Mignola, uh, the creator of Hellboy. Legend, uh, and apparently. In the early days, Bruce Tim was having trouble getting, you know, character animator or character designers, I suppose, on board to, uh, uh, you know, do things in the way that he was wanting to do. And so he reached out to multiple uh, comic artists uh, that he had admired, just being like, you know what? It's not going to hurt anything if uh, if they say no. <laughs> and so he got Mike Mignola to do the uh, the Mr. Freeze one. He may have done a couple of different ones as well. Uh, but another, another pretty popular one. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever seen all the design work he did. A lot of it, what it did end up getting used uh, was Kevin Nolan. Yes. Um, I've seen that name pop up a few times. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's known for doing like Batman sort of Azrael uh, mm, was one of, mm-hmm. one of his bigger ones, but he did early passes on, Batman on Man Bat on um, God, there were so many of them. I'm 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 just I'm blanking. I'm pretty sure he did a Catwoman one. Uh, he did Joker, Riddler, um, Tim Drake. He yeah. he did the Wonderland Gang at one point, which I think is pretty interesting, given that like I don't think the wonderland gang was a thing all the way back then i think that's something that paul dini had come up with yeah so maybe there were plans to do that but he did he did a lot of stuff and it's it's a bit different than what the show ended up going with but his man bat design is practically the basis for what ended up getting used in on leather wings yeah and I've seen like a couple different like first pass designs. Like there's one where it's got obviously a version of the Joker, but he's his hair slicked back and he's a little bit more like he's he's much more, I guess, aligned towards that Nicholson styling. Right. But it's it's fascinating to see kind of how the evolution of these characters went and how they changed so much during the design phase. Right. Yeah. One that, um, God, one that I've always loved, uh, and, and it's a character that they created for the show, uh, Harley Quinn. Yes, of course. Her, Iconic. Uh, 
her 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 jester outfit is you know a brilliant stroke of genius but have you ever seen uh the original uh the original design that paul dini did for her no hold on let me see if i can pop that into there's a chat here uh There you go. That's that is the original this. Harley Quinn design that Paul Dini did. Oh, interesting. And they they ended up making a statue uh, of her years and years down the line. But apparently, when he first showed it to Bruce Tim, Bruce laughed at him and said, "I'm putting that in a blackmail folder." <laughs> Before coming up with the uh, the jester outfit that we all know and love. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And I think if they went with some of these other designs that were more like 60s inspired, because this is this feels very like 60s bombshells or those kind of designer. It feels like something that would have been in Batman, the Brave and the Bold. Exactly. Like in that kind of spraying area. Mm hmm. And it it absolutely as as nice as the design is, and I'm sure it makes a great statue. Like it definitely it doesn't hold a candle to the jester outfit. Oh no, absolutely not. But it is it it it's still just something that's just a strong sense of knowing what they they wanted out of the character. Yeah. Without necessarily having the uh the design chops. And you know, Paul Dini's a writer more than he is an artist. Right. So for him to to get that. Because there's a lot of bases here great. for that too, the two toned and everything. Yeah, you got the two toned. You got the uh, like all the diamonds in her leggings. Mm-hmm. Just the the bright and vibrant, smiley personality. Yeah. Now there's there's another one that I I love to talk about. It's Bane. Bane was. Not the biggest change from the comics design wise, but the thing that people to this day cannot get past is turning his mask into a luchador mask, doing the exposed mouth and nose. And oh, for sure. Yeah, I guess because this was here. I've actually got some early design work on him as well that I'll. uh, Oh, cool. That I'll throw you in the chat, but. Bane is a really interesting one in the uh, um, in the context of the show specifically because he hadn't even been around for a long time right. before they popped him into the show. And it's my understanding. I'm trying to. I don't. Oh, they got him in little shorts. Got him in trunks. Yeah, and here's another one. Uh, but I I don't remember specifically where I got this info from, but it was some interview where they had been picking up uh, the, the, the people who worked on Batman were picking up, you know, the Batman comics as they were coming out. Yeah. And Bruce Tim saw Bane break Batman's back and thought it was stupid. <laughs> and their Bane episode was basically a reaction to that. Uh, That's amazing. You know, they They've got a they've got a breaking the bat thing built into the episode and then they mm-hmm. subvert it at the end. And that's always been a pretty interesting one to me that that's just a character that they were just like, nope, don't like his deal. Let's adapt it anyway. <laughs> yeah, it, it almost feels like like it's a vendetta in a way. It's like, oh, 
no, you don't see how stupid this character is. We're going to show you how silly this concept is. And and yet, because of how beloved the show is, that episode is, you know, pretty. I, I would I would say pretty responsible for in part Bane sticking around to this day. You know, like absolutely. Obviously, breaking the bat was was a big deal on its own, mm-hmm. but more people more people watch the cartoons than they read the comics. That's just a, a, so an true. unfair fact of life. And <laughs> so, for him to be adapted that early on into a production that had you know as much praise as it did at the time, I would not be surprised if that's a lot in large part why he stuck around to this day right well and it's interesting to me too because like a big part of what i think makes that bane character work so well is they did a i think they did a great job on trying to make sure that he had a very um that he had a very distinct uh ethnic background right because he's very much rooted in in that Latino culture, like having the entire, basically he's got the luchador background. He, they don't shy away from giving him like a, I, I don't know if I'd call it region specific. Cause it's one of those ethnically ambiguous things, but it's very much still like in that realm when it comes to his accent, his voice and everything. And I think it's really, I don't know. I really dig this portrayal of Bane. He's not, I mean, it, I think this episode specifically caught, you know, kicked off that whole, all you got to do is slice his tube to beat him. But the way that he's portrayed here is still like very intelligent, very uh, cunning, I think is as close to the comic as we get when it comes to adaptations. Yeah, he's still definitely got a, a, a sense of menace to him mm-hmm. that, you know, that despite the fact that they said no we don't really like what the comics did with this character they just said but we'll still try to you know follow as closely as we can to respect the character we just think batman would have would have done better right (laughs) and i i'd like to kind of shift talking about uh vocal performances because they went out and they got some fantastic people to portray these characters in the show. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to look past them, so I guess we'll, we'll address them first. Uh, Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill as basically like your glue. Right. Oh, geez, yeah. And with them both specifically, um, I mean, Kevin Conroy hadn't, been, hadn't done any voice acting before this. Yeah, he, he was he a was, theater major. He was a theater major, trained at Juilliard, uh, uh, he was like roommates with Robin Williams, mm-hmm. but he was, he was seemed to be planning for a live action career yeah. and kind of, kind of stumbled into this one. Um, he, he, he did kind of go back into that backstory a little bit, uh, recently in the, uh, the story he did for this year's DC pride. Yeah. Uh, great and- story. Yeah, and and so much of what he brought to this character uh, revolved around the pain that he had, you know, being a gay man in the late 80s, early 90s and having to, to, you know, like Batman hides parts of himself. Mm -hmm. Kevin had to hide parts of himself. And there was just a deeply 
personal connection uh, to it. And he he often goes on the record saying that he played it kind of like a Shakespearean character, kind of like yes. a... I don't I don't remember specifically if it was Macbeth or Hamlet is the one that he uh, he's consistently comparing uh, Batman to. But he brought a lot of respect and personality to a, the character, like without even having known much of anything about Batman or the world of voice acting. And the fact right. that he was so good that he has stayed in that role all these years later. Yeah, is is just a testament to the quality that he brought, for sure. And I think the I've I've gone on record on this podcast and everywhere else, basically saying like, when you talk about some of the best portrayals of Batman, obviously Kevin Conroy is there. He is the benchmark. He is the the measuring stick. And I think a lot of people got to really see that when he started doing the voice for the Arkham games which is, of course, a I don't know if I would call it like a grittier style when it comes to his voice acting, but I it's would... definitely more gruff and it's more um, vicious, I suppose, than his portrayal of Batman and Bruce in the show. But there's something that I've always loved about him and his performance in at least the initial two seasons, less so in New Batman Adventures. But he has this very... Um, uh, what's who's the name uh, Bud Collier when it comes to the difference between his Bruce and his Batman where he's always like yeah he's kind of up here when it comes to Bruce and then he gets down low for Batman and that's something that's always like even when I was a kid it just enchanted me I was like oh man like the, the amount of control and the amount of uh, technical know-how when it comes to voice acting that you need to be able to have to be able to make both of those distinct and yet um compelling is just something that I've always really admired about about Conroy as a voice actor. Oh, for sure. I wish that they had kind of kept that up going forward, but I, yeah. I get it how it, it's, you know, I'm sure it's probably a strain to keep two voices consistent every episode rather than just the one. But that's always been something that's been a, that's a joy to to watch when you're going back through those old episodes is He'll be, you know, it, it, even as early as on Leather Wings, he'll be down in the uh, the Batcave talking to Alfred down here in his deep voice. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the phone rings and somebody else who doesn't know he's Batman is on the line and they want to talk to Bruce Wayne. So he just goes up here a little bit and is, yeah. hey, <laughs> Dr. March, thank you for calling me about the Bat problem. Yeah, he's he's incredible. And I mean, just as iconic and as much of, of a foil when it comes to, I think, you know, his prior stuff, Mark Hamill as the Joker coming in as an established actor. He's Luke Skywalker, for God's sake, coming in and being the Joker and not even being the first choice to be the Joker. Like the the whole Tim Curry of it all, I think, is fascinating. Oh. So that that is that is something that I was reading up on earlier this morning, actually, because um, there there was a I forget if it was comic scene or comic zone, some old 90s comics rag uh, mm -hmm. that interviewed Mark Hamill. He didn't even originally come in to be a voice actor. He wanted to be on the writing staff. And really? They, yeah. 
And they told him, nope, sorry, we've, you know, already got plenty of writers. However, we do have this Ferris Boyle character in Heart of Ice uh, <laughs> that we would love to have you voice. And so, you know, that's that's like somewhere from like 15 to 20 episodes into the run uh, that, you know, they're they're working on doing doing voice work on that already. Meaning yeah. we've had a bunch of Joker episodes already done and probably recorded and in the can at that point. Absolutely. And a, a, a network exec or something along those lines uh, just last second said, nope, we don't want to do Tim Curry. We we want somebody else to, to, to do this. And I think it was that they found the Tim Curry voice uh, a little too frightening is usually the uh, is usually the line that's used. I don't know how true that is, or if that's become just rumor, or if there was another reason for it. Um, but so they had like three or four Tim Curry episodes already recorded, which means all of the mouth flaps and everything were also already yeah. animated. Woof. And they had to bring Mark Hamill in to ADR re-record everything and ma- match those mouth flaps. Yeah. And that's that tough. that puts that puts an even bigger just like wow, you know, like, like what a predicament to be in and he delivered. <laughs> uh cuz you know, your 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 early Joker episodes, your very first one, you got Christmas with the Joker. Huge. And, and that's that that has become, you know, a, a mainstay when you talk about that show is that episode and for it to be he wasn't even supposed to be the voice is just is just flabbergasting. Well, and it's it's interesting because like ADR is ridiculous. Like I've done um, I'm a voice actor in L.A. and like just doing ADR just in general is such a skill but i can't even imagine having to match not only like inflections but also a different a completely different performance while still making it your own for this so huge props to mark hamill as the joker um but i think those two do get a lot of the spotlight where other actors don't necessarily get as much like one of my favorite performances in the entire show is Lauren Lester as Robin. Like his Dick Grayson is like my my version of Dick Grayson. I love that character to death. And he's a large reason on why Dick Grayson is one of my favorite comic book characters like ever because I felt like I got to grow up with that character with his eventual you know growth into Nightwing and all that stuff. Um I just also love how much when it comes to his performance, he bounces off of Conroy's and I think they have really good chemistry in the episodes that they're in together. Oh, definitely. It is. It is surprising to me that to this day, Lauren Lester is able to keep that bouncy youthful energy to his voice. Like I know, I know, I know that most people don't like the Batman and Harley Quinn movie, but having <laughs> Lauren Lester back in as Nightwing all these years later, he Iconic. does not sound like he skipped a beat at all. It's it's literally and like it's they incredible. started recording that after New Batman Adventures. 
right? Like it's it's ridiculous that that he's there's so much good voice work in this show. Yeah, <laughs> it's got, ridiculous. You've got him. You've got Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Yep, as as Alfred. Uh, you got Ron Perlman's Clayface. Even like, I mean, Robert Costanzo as Bullock is a voice that I can pick out of a lineup every single time. Like, I distinctly remember playing the Arkham Origins game years and years and years after, you know, Batman the Animated Series had already finished production. And you just hear this random character who they never name say, you know, oh, so there's no such thing as the Batman, huh? And like, it's so you pick it up immediately and like, oh, that's Bullock because it's the same voice actor. And he's just that voice is so ingrained in my mind as Bullock that like it's it's crazy. And the same thing for, I mean, specific characters like John Glover's Riddler, I think, is incredible. Oh, and- absolutely. They're they're talking about um, doing a, a, a Batman, the animated series audio podcast uh, story, oh. kind of like how they did with the Batman audio adventures and yeah. Batman Unburied recently. And John Glover is one of the ones that they said are coming back. Um, so getting to hear his voice again as the Riddler is going to be a real treat for sure. Absolutely. And there's there's another one. I mean, I don't always think of the actor specifically but whenever i you know pick up a comic book or whatever and i see rachel ghoul david warner's voice is what i always hear rest in peace rest in peace he just passed away recently but yeah no he was incredible incredible orage like that performance was part of what really made the character stick out to me uh from the get-go yeah, I, I hear detective every single time, and it's always how he said it. And it's, yeah, it's, again, another voice that kind of sticks in your mind. And then, I mean, we mentioned her earlier already, but Harley Quinn, Arlene Sorkin. Incredible. Oh, absolutely. Nobody has been able to do it as good as she does. Like, you know, no no hate towards any of the other Harley actresses that have come since. For uh, sure. Kaylee Cuoco, you're... Mm-hmm. you're you know, fantastic for, for the show you're in Crushing it. Melissa Roush, you were great at, you know, kind of covering for her in Batman and Harley Quinn, Tara, Tara strong. Uh, you, you got, you got, you got some good characters, Tara. <laughs> yeah. And, and they keep calling you back for Harley for a reason, even if I don't see it, but right. you know, Arlene, that role was literally made for her. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. also Poison Ivy, Diane Pershing, like that's oh, absolutely. If I if I remember correctly, I want to say that she started off as like doing voiceover for commercials. That would make sense. And and, and you know, was doing that sexy, sultry voice, trying to sell products and stuff, and then yeah. she brought that over to the character of Poison Ivy, uh, right. and incredible incredible uh uh voice for her uh especially given that she's you know she's the sexy one she's right. the sexy villain you gotta have that sexy voice exactly Spe- <laughs> speaking of a sexy voice though i don't know if you would have any way to splice this in at all but have you ever heard 
any of the original Tim Curry Joker stuff. I have never heard any of the original Tim Curry stuff. So somebody somehow recently got a hold of a bit of it and put it in there. Um, they did a, a Batman the Animated Series video on YouTube uh, and, and put it in there. They recently sent us a lot more than what went into their video. But here's the link to that. And if you want to skip to one hour, 55 minutes and 38 seconds, you'll have some Tim Curry uh, Joker. Okay, I'm absolutely doing that. And I will absolutely be splicing that into this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I will 100% be doing it because that is I've heard for years about the Tim Curry Joker thing. And it's always like because obviously Tim Curry has a very distinct voice, right? Like I've always imagined what that might sound like. So I cannot wait to dig into that. And I'm definitely putting that in this episode for sure. Oh, that's a joke, right? Batman finally told a joke. (laughs) Just for that, Batman. Yeah, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, the person that made this video sent us like a third of an episode's worth of Tim Curry. Oh, my God. Yeah, so... We've been sitting on that for a while and Oof. are looking for a way to release it. But he does have some of it already ready and available in his video. Hell yeah. And I'll I'll put a link in the uh, in the description for uh, for listeners if you want to also go check this out uh, for that YouTube video for sure. Um, so we're going to do a quick shift here because I really, I'm very interested to get into this discussion with you talking about favorite episodes of the first season. There's a lot to choose from more than the rest of the uh, episodes in this series combined, but I'm very curious on your favorite episode. Do you have a favorite episode from this first season? Um, all-time favorite from the season. Hold on, let me let me pull up the full list of this season real quick. Okay. Cuz I know a couple off of the top of my head mm-hmm. that are that are going to be like, "Oh yeah, these are obviously good ones," but I want to think if there's there's anything that I'm missing. Hold on, where did that list go? I had the list. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, the joy of having way too many fucking Google accounts with different drives full of information i got to the point where i'm paying for the extra storage space on one of them but i just Mm. have not ever gone back and reorganized everything oh my god that's not the right document that's the unproduced batman episodes i don't need a list of the episodes that don't exist (laughs) all right on leather wings that's a good one christmas with the Mm -hmm. joker that's a that's a good one uh i mean there, there are parts of Christmas with the Joker that definitely show the bumps of the early stuff. For uh, sure. But it's still it's still a great episode. Uh, Two-Face Part 1, an incredible episode. That was the yeah. first Alan Burnett one. Uh, Heart of Ice, obviously. I, th- I, think, yeah. I think many people consider that to be the best of the show. And I understand why. It is... Yeah. You know, the reinvention of Mr. Freeze, 
It's got the tragedy built into it. Right. Uh, it, it's got all of these things. I have come to sour with it a little bit over. The oh, years. interesting. Um, well, specifically because I'm sure I'm sure, you know, the 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 trope uh, coined by Gail Simone, women in refrigerators. Oh, yes. Any I, I think the, fridging is a, a very popular term by now. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, the more I think about that episode, I think it is a great execution of the trope, but it still hinges on the trope. Right. And for my money, I have always liked um in the tie-in comics for these shows, uh as you'll remember by the end of uh the Sub-Zero movie, Nora is cured, she's off ice. She's good to go. Yep. You never see her show up in the shows again. <laughs> uh, once the new Batman adventures come around, they say, oh, yeah, she uh, she married her doctor off screen. And, and that's all you need to know. And she's never going to be around ever again. Um, but the tie in comics really dug into her as a character mm-hmm. and gave you a reason to understand why freeze was so obsessed with her just past the the typical like oh you know it is a guy who this is the woman he loved but like it actually made her feel like a person and that has always been something that i thought elevated uh heart of ice but now all these years later as the people who worked on Batman, the animated series have been revisiting that continuity through stuff like Batman, the adventures continue specifically with Paul Dini, uh, who wrote heart of ice coming back to it. Uh, Mm -hmm. he, he wrote a thing where it was just like, Nora's treatment didn't take and she's dead and (laughs) freeze is trying to bring her back to life. And that doesn't work. And, and it's just like, okay, you, we're back you, to square one out, here. Yeah, you're throwing all, out all of this stuff because you think the only thing that matters to the dynamic of these characters is that one is dead and, and and isn't a character and the other one's just sad about it. And I've ended up kind of souring on the original story just because of that. But if you want to go the route of the stuff that brings Nora back around, then it's definitely a great stepping block to some incredible stuff. It is a great story in and of itself, but just yeah. the whole meta stuff around it. Yeah. Has kind of made me a bit more. Bleh. And that's interesting. I've, I've never, I've never, I guess thought about it that way, but it is not super great in, in retrospect when you think of it through that lens. Um, and yeah, it, it yeah. Does and great- I mean, like, you know, it was a it was a different landscape of storytelling at the time. One hundred percent. I don't really necessarily fault it on its own merits. Uh, you know, especially given the time that it was put out in. But when the writer is coming back, you know, decades yeah. later and being like, "But the fridging thing is the thing that Let's I care do it about again. the most in this episode." Yeah. It's just like, eh. yeah, not the best, not the best. Let's see, yeah. what else did we have in here? Beware the Grey Ghost. Beware the Grey Ghost. I literally just watched that this morning again. It's Master so class. good. Master class. It's so good. Just Adam incredible. West is incredible. incredible. 
from what I from what I understand, there was anxiety about asking Adam West to come on for that role. Really? Which I can can I can totally understand because, you know, obviously it's like a passing off of the torch thing. Right. Uh, in that, you know, the, the old Batman is giving the blessing to the new Batman, uh, of course. It, within the context of the show itself, the old Batman isn't Batman, but from a meta point, you get what's going on there. Well, and you see but like when, how much Bruce has based Batman off of the gray ghost, like right, basically right, turning absolutely. him into a gigantic and fanboy. Absolutely. But when you when you look at the meta aspect of it then you start to think oh well are they just saying that adam west is you know a washed up kind of right. guy can't really get any roles anymore etc 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 is he going to read into that casting and so i get there being the anxiety there yeah about it but i'm glad that he came on for it because incredible episode it it's it's one of the first ones where you get backstory into Bruce's childhood. Mm-hmm. And that's always something that really plays nice because they've they've gotta they've gotta make the childhood, you know, as as peaceful and serene as possible mm-hmm. so that you get the juxtaposition of like why it matters so much that his parents weren't around anymore from such a young age. And so having, you know, his dad watching TV with him and picking him up and taking him off to bed and all this and and, and Bruce getting to relive part of that in his now modern age where his parents aren't around anymore. It gives him that connection uh, to that old version of himself. And it's it's really sweet, uh, especially when they end that one off uh, with him talking to gray ghost as bruce wayne just being like hey i used to watch you with my dad you know this means a lot to me and it's a way of him being like hey i'm batman it's me but at the same time it is it is literally highlighting how much it meant to him to spend that time with simon trent and on a meta level it's got to be at least a little bit of kevin conroy speaking to adam west being like yeah man like this is it means just as much to me as it does to you and kind of that confirmation of it. Um, oh, I mean, I think, I think even more than just, you know, Conroy speaking to West, but it is, it is Bruce Tim yeah. speaking to West. It is who wrote the story, Tom Ruger speaking to West. Like it, it's, it's a lot of people just being like, Hey, what you did means a lot to us. Yeah, and it's I'm, I'm I'm sure that regardless so of whatever anxiety there was in asking him to come on that, like he had to have appreciated that for sure. Well, and I think there's a lot of, you know, as nerve wracking as it might have been for like the whole um, is he going to think we're like typecasting him as some like, you know, Hollywood loser like there is a bit of truth to that as well. Like after the wrap up of the 60s Batman show, you know, it's been documented that. Adam West had a little bit of a tough time because a lot of people, and I think it happens a lot with uh, actors who are on TV for a very long time and are iconic for a specific character. It's hard not to see them as that. And so it's, 
it's you know i think in in a way it's that whole promise of hey there is a life after this and i don't know i really i love that episode of death there's also i mean we talked about the animation earlier in the flashback scenes specifically this was where i kind of first noticed as a kid like the animation style changed a little bit like it's a little bit more um anime style when it comes to the movement when it comes to some of the character designs kid bruce is classic big head big eyes anime kid and i really dig that about that episode absolutely yeah that's a that is a good point and i i think my favorite episode from that first season is probably still my favorite episode of the entire show and it was also the first episode that i remember watching speaking of anime references uh robin's reckoning i think is an incredible story and it has just like so many other uh western animation uh shows done the akira slide with the motorcycle the homage Yes, that was that's an incredible one. And just I was I've been reading um some of the earlier uh Batman comics. Yes. And so much of that is actually taken out of the the 30s and 40s Batman run. Mm-hmm. Um there's there's a god I I I I want to be sure that I'm talking about this correctly. <laughs> um, but yeah, that entire construction sequence yeah. from Robin's Reckoning is lifted. It's almost entirely all in his first appearance in the comics. That's so uh, cool. There, I'll drop. There's that that uh, that page where they basically do that. But oh yeah, 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 and that's. I I think that's that's a fun thing is that like they reference so many other things and, and if you're not as well like versed in the stuff that they're pulling from it's just like oh you know that's a that's a a cool neat little thing that they did but as soon as you start you know pulling back the layers and everything you realize just how much really went into this show and how much they liked to wear their influences on their sleeves right um there's another one that really that really stands out to me in that regard um what was it the clock king episode yes uh where at the end of the episode they're fighting in the giant clock tower Mm -hmm. and literally it's it's they they've gone on record so many times saying that that was just ripped specifically out of uh lupin the third and the castle of uh caliostro Yes. And it's it's so cool that despite the fact that like obviously your first and foremost is you want to be pulling from Batman comics mm-hmm. and making the best Batman that you can condensing it down that they still went past that and they were like but let's look at all of these other things that just aren't Batman at all yeah. and try to figure out some cool stuff we can rip from that to put on top of Batman. Right. Well, and they play a lot with like, I mean, we mentioned it earlier, a lot with like noir and and detective noir, like two episodes that absolutely pull from this almost got them in POV. POV is one of my favorite episodes in the whole series. And it's it's not an episode that people talk about a lot, which is a shame. 
Um, but I think the, the acclaim for Almost Gotham, I think, is pretty universal. But POV is such a nice story that's told in a very classic uh, detective noir style. And both of those episodes are ones that I always come back to. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's interesting that you bring up POV because you're right. Not a lot of people really do talk about that one. And it's probably just because like there's no major set piece, really. There's no major villain. It's all just the different beat cops telling their different sides of the story. But I've always found that kind of storytelling fascinating where it's you just get a little bit filled in from each different version of the same thing until finally it all comes together and you're like, Oh, there's, there's a hole here. Yeah. You know, the, the, we're, we're just getting the parts, but there is, you put it all together and all of a sudden, you know, there, there's, there's a bigger story going on and you figure it out that way. Kind of thing. A mystery, if you would. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's great, and it's one of those episodes that really spotlights a character that was created for the show, Renee Montoya, who oh for sure has yeah, taken on a life of her own in the comics. She's that's a that's another one that's really interesting to me is because while she was made for the show, apparently she did end up debuting in the comics before ever actually showing up on the show. Somehow that's interesting. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's that like a, a writer's Bible got passed around to someone and they said, hey, we want to make this a big deal of a character. Can you can you shove her in somewhere <laughs> or what? But yeah, she's and she's just grown so much over the years. Like she's right. become the question. She's dated Batwoman, you know, she's yeah, she's she's one of the premier stories. street level heroes. She's had huge stories just like thrown at her feet, whether it, it be anything from, you know, her coming out in Gotham Central uh, up to like she was a, a major player in the, the 52 series. Right. Even. And, and that all started just as a B cop that was made for Batman the Animated Series. We love to see it. We love to see characters like that. It's. It's interesting. There's a lot of characters that they made just for the show. I mean, Sid the Squid, man who killed Batman. Like, right. That's still, I think, one of the most rewatchable episodes for me. Because, again, like kind of leaning into that noir format of like somebody telling you, you know, being the unreliable narrator, the events that happened and all of the clues and stuff that goes into that. Still a great episode. For sure. And then we talked about earlier, I mean, John Glover's Riddler, both of his episodes, but specifically for me, if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? His debut episode, I think is wonderful. I've always loved how this show has a way of making you sympathize with the villains since you bring up that that episode specifically, because it's just like, yeah, they're the the actions that they took are wrong but you can get why they got there you know (laughs) like like, and you you understand and you don't really get a lot of like this specifically the like the corporations are fucking us over fucking us artists over kind of stuff (laughs) in, in cartoons too much these days i think most corporations have kind of been like hey 
we we see what you're doing we you're not subtle please don't put that in here (laughs) stop it but like for them to just you know have the freedom that they did back then and also be like but also i don't trust the corporations and you shouldn't either they'll steal your games and sell it for money (laughs) was a was definitely a nice touch for sure and I mean, there's there's other episodes that I don't think people talk about as much either. I mean, Fear of Victory is one of my favorites. And then obviously, I think one of the big ones that kind of tends to get lost in the shuffle, uh, Shadow of the Bat, the debut of Batgirl. That is a that that is a really good one. That's like you got Two-Face, you got Gil Mason, which, you know, is, you know, is iconic a Batman villain Gil Mason. Like you. I, I've always appreciated <laughs> the episodes that make Gotham feel like a real place. Yeah. And they'll just throw in these random one-off political figures that like will be the driving force of the story, uh, more or less. Right. And, and you never see them again, <laughs> but they're around just long enough that, you know, well, they made an impact here. They were probably doing stuff in Gotham episodes beforehand. Uh, and, you know, despite the fact they never show up again, it's it's they, they just make the world feel a lot more fleshed out. For sure. And it helps, like you said, to make, you know, to help the immersion of getting into these characters and really enjoying them as they experience this world. And I don't know, it's... They did such a good job because I'm a big, I'm a big uh, world building and lore guy. And if you can have solid world building in your story, then you've already got me like 75% of the way there. And right. I mean, the locations, the, you know, making that, that almost unreachable thing that every Batman adaptation is reaching for, like making Gotham city feel like its own character, I think is achieved really well in the show. And that's translated through just how much uh, story you can tell in that one location in that city in this show across, you know, in this, like we said, this first season, 65 episodes. Yeah. And they they didn't really bounce out of Gotham too much other than like the Ra's al Ghul episodes. Yeah. But almost everything else was just inside of that city. Yeah. It's... they were able to make it work. Yeah. And it speaks to the strength of, of, you know, that. Right. Exactly. So as we are uh, getting close to wrapping up here, do you have any final thoughts? Are there on this first season? Are there any things that really stick out to you that we haven't covered or anything that you particularly love about the first season of Batman, the animated series? Well, I do want to highlight feet of clay. Yes. Really quick. That is definitely another uh, favorite episode of mine. Ron uh, Perlman. Yeah. I mean, we we mentioned earlier that Ron Perlman brought his voice to Clayface. And Ron's just got that, you know, just brooding, gruff voice that, like, is incredible for, uh, you know, tortured characters. Yeah. And I think Feet of Clay specifically, it's it's got a lot of different angles to it because obviously you've got the, the angle of he is an actor who was in a car crash 
and that you know ob- that's set him on a path where he has to do stuff that he doesn't necessarily want to do in order to keep his job um right. but then you think about it in in a different angle of of it's been confirmed in the years since that his um his partner in that episode teddy mm-hmm. uh wasn't just like an acting partner that's his that's his boyfriend yeah this is a a, a queer relationship you right. know all the way back in the 90s cartoon and it's not just a queer relationship it's an actor in a queer relationship and we know what exactly. we know now about kevin conroy mm-hmm. uh working on this show and it just it adds an extra layer of tragedy to it that you know there was a point in time where if you wanted to live as your true authentic self it could easily just ruin your career Right. Um, and, and you'd have, you have to keep that part of you secret and everything. And that's, that's something that, you know, you don't necessarily pick up on, on this episode, your first watch through, but you go through it again and again. And it's just like, Oh, Oh. And then of course, you know, the, the animation on it is so just incredible. Good. Like, like Clayface as a character, you have to have a bunch of just fluid motion going on. Mm-hmm. But for them to go the way that they did in part two in that uh, that transformation scene at the end where he's surrounded by all those different screens yeah. of different versions of his past performances and just on a dime his face keeps changing from one to the next in such fluid motion. It, it's, it is incredible that they were able to do that in the nineties with, with the technology that they had and it look as good as it does today. It's, 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 it's this show is an artwork. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Well, and that episode was written by Marv Wolfman too. Like another like big, time comics writer like they pulled out all the stops to make sure that the episodes that hit really well hit really well and it's yeah it's it's incredible i think it's one of those this season is one of those achievements that like again if this didn't work who knows what else wouldn't have worked or wouldn't have been made when it comes to i think not just the dcau but just superhero cartoons in general because not lot... just not just superhero cartoons but just just animation yeah you know the, the world of animation is entirely different specifically because of bruce tim and the work that this team did on this show you know you you before this you had like you had your Hanna Barbera comedy cartoons, right? But if you wanted your action cartoons, it was it was all basically toy commercials, right? You had your your big yeah. clunky muscle bound guys that aren't very easy to animate, and like your 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 super friends, your He Man's, your uh, like what was what was the other one that I just had in my head? GI Joe, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, but. Bruce Tim's style on this kind kind of 
brought an awareness that if you want your animation to be good to stand the test of time you've got to do you can't just do curves everywhere where with these muscle bound guys and 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 have it you know looking realistic you got to do uh uh, curves versus lines uh, and just allow things to be much more fluid and that's something that's you know been picked up in animation ever since then uh like you know, I said not just not just superhero cartoons, you know, stuff based on like Marvel or DC or whatever. But like you look at other action cartoons, you look at Ben 10, you look at Avatar, uh, stuff along those lines. And you can tell the influences there had Batman the Animated Series not worked in the way that it did. I don't think that we would have a lot of the cartoons that we have today. Yeah. Absolutely. Even, even at that time, Marvel was still going with the big muscle bound guys, right? Like the the X-Men and Spider-Man cartoons. They don't look anything like the uh, uh, they don't look anything like Batman, the animated series. But then as you go forward in time with the Marvel cartoons and you start looking at X-Men Evolution, mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, most of the the character design work for that was done by Stephen Gordon who came from Batman the animated series and you, you can 100% at, tell too right and you look at you look at Earth's Mightiest Heroes and right. how they simplified the designs and, and you know it was it was all about making sure that every line that was on the screen served a purpose and had to be there and if it didn't have to be there take it out throw it out. It's just going to make things more complicated for for the animators. And, you know, while that's a thing that they started to uh, uh, kind of understand with this series, it obviously became uh, a much more prevalent uh, uh, design choice by the time you got to the new Batman adventures where they, they narrowed it down even more on that one. Right. Absolutely. And I think that the, you know, Obviously, this show evolved as well, you know, taking inspiration from other shows like Superman, the animated series and it being able to be the blueprint while also adapting as it went along is a large reason why I think people still love it to this day. And I think it's a huge factor in the in the idea that. We look at, you know, you mentioned X-Men the Animated Series, Spider-Man the Animated Series. I don't know if those shows have aged, like no disrespect to them, but like I don't know if those shows have aged nearly as well as Batman the Animated Series. There's a certain like timelessness to the show. And I think even, you know, 30 years on, you can still plop anybody down in front of it and they're going to find value, which is, I think, the goal for most art is to be something that can be uh, viewed and analyzed and enjoyed for years and years and years after it's been, you know, after it's been released. So honestly, yeah, I think it's, it's a home run. It's one of the best cartoons ever created. And I'm really excited that we got to uh, sit down and kind of shoot the shit about the show. So um, it's, it's been a fun one. I, yeah. I'm always excited to talk about BTAS. 
<laughs> so uh, for those of our listeners who maybe haven't uh, checked out your stuff or if they want to keep up to date with you, um, social media, YouTube, where would uh, where would they be able to find you? Yeah, uh, like I said at the top, uh, I work with a group of folks uh, at the Watchtower Database. We are a YouTube channel that is uh, primarily focused on literally this Batman the Animated Series and the shows that spun out of it. Uh, whether that be Superman, the animated series, Batman Beyond, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, Static Shock, uh, and sometimes even other DC properties and or not DC properties. I did a Ben 10 video earlier this year. That was a lot. Yeah. Of fun. Uh, but you can you can find us on YouTube at Watchtower Database uh, on almost all social medias. We are we have the handle at DCAU Watchtower. Uh, we've got Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. TikTok, I think. I don't really use it, but somebody's making <laughs> them. Uh, and then, of course, if you, uh, if for some reason you think I'm worth following outside of my expertise on Batman cartoons, uh, my personal stuff, you can find me at Maddie Washburn on Twitter or at executive producer Dick Wolf on Instagram. I, 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 I swooped oh, in so and I got that handle very early on i've been waiting for dick wolf of of law and order fame to buy it off of me and he has yet to do so so now i'm just getting tagged every three months or so in law and order memes by complete strangers uh, <laughs> we love to see it we love to see it and uh, yeah like, so that like, is like i said at the top like Watchtower Database, been a big fan for a very long time. So I was over the moon excited when you were able to come on to this. Um, their YouTube channel is wonderful. And they're putting out some real bangers lately. The uh, the Poison Ivy clone theory, I think, has been one of my favorites that I've been really... I mean, I mean the whole, the whole channel oh God, is wonderful. That one's taken... But... That one's taken so long. We we started teasing that like five years ago. <laughs> and so to finally have that out and be where we are uh, on our storyline. If you don't if you if you're not familiar with us, we have a storyline on our channel and it's the not best. in every video, but it's in all of the videos that we're doing recently. <laughs> uh, but for <laughs> us to finally be coming into the end of that is so cool uh we were hoping to be done with it in you know 2020 and then COVID happened and we had right. to throw our plans up in the air but we're finally coming up to the end of that our uh will it canon video on batman and harley quinn should be out any day now uh, it was going to be out yesterday was the original plan, but I think we had to push some stuff back. There's been a lot of um, planning for my wedding in the next couple days. And yeah. So I'm not sure when it'll be here, but it'll be here pretty soon. I think James basically, you know, th they've day. been holding off so that we can time our release of this episode with that specifically for this, of course. And oh, clearly I, uh, that's, I, I, that's what the hope is. I really appreciate you doing that for me. It, it, it means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so again, Maddie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, congrats on your upcoming nuptials. We are, we are recording this a little bit in advance. 
listeners. So um, hopefully the uh, the wonderful thing would be that you can go ahead and listen to this and then you can go and watch the Willet Cannon video. The Willet Cannon series has been incredible. So um, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, for listeners, stick around. We got more Saturday morning September coming for you, and uh, this is just getting started. I've 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 heard rumor uh, that one guest coming on is the one and only Troy Oboyo, and you don't want to miss that. Oh so yeah, keep listening. That's the endorsement. That's the only endorsement I need. Period. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comiXology, or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And honestly, Amazing Fantasy 1000, as silly as the numbering is, was a wonderful, loving tribute to Spider-Man, a love letter to the character, and I absolutely adored it. From cover to cover, it was fantastic. Though I do also want to give a quick shout to uh, The Variants, Issue 3. Gail Simone, Phil Noto, it is incredible, and you all should be reading it. But that's last week's books. This week, we've got... Four, five, six, seven, eight books for you to check out. So let's go ahead and dive into this list. Kicking things off with She Hulk number six. This is written by Rainbow Roll with art by Luca Maresca. And I've been really enjoying She Hulk. It's funny because, like, the She Hulk show is very slice of life legal drama, so far at least. And She Hulk, the comic, has also been very. I would say it's slice of life. There is that underlying, like, what is the mystery behind Jack of Hearts? But a lot of it's just been She-Hulk, like, dealing with stuff. Like, dealing with stuff in her day-to-day life. I've been really enjoying it. Um, So, yeah. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The smash hit of 2022 rolls on with its best issue yet. Nightcrawler visits Book Law, but what does he need legal defense for? And one of the greatest traditions in Marvel Comics history continues here. I don't know what that means, but I'm very excited to find out. Next up, we have Dark Knights of Steel, Tales from the Three Kingdoms, number one. This is written by Tom Taylor, C.S. Picot, and Jay Kristoff, with art by Nathan Gooden. And I think this is... Another kind of stopgap in the uh, in the Dark Knights of Steel saga. We're waiting for the main story to kick back up. So I think this is going to be like an anthology book of just like prequel stuff. So let's dive into the synopsis and find out what, that's a, what this is all about. The L Kingdom has been ruled with integrity and honesty for generations by families from the Waynes to the L's. The future of the kingdom lies with its three heirs and the challenges they will face. But what really prepared them for their tumultuous future? What stories defined Bruce, Zala, and Kal-El? Learn these tales and more from international best-selling writers Tom Taylor, Jay Kristoff, and C.S. Picot. So yeah, uh, sounds like this is a prequel comic with some... Uh, it, it's got a real fun cover of just like all all three of them is like old kids... So this should be a fun little prequel comic that'll give us some anthology stuff. 
Next up, we have Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty number four. This is written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with art by Carmen Carnero. This book's been fantastic. The Cap books have been incredibly strong across both series, both Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson. And I'm very excited to continue this underlying political thriller mystery story. So let's dive into the synopsis here. Steve Rogers returns to New York with more questions than answers about the origin of the S.H.I.E.L.D., only to discover that Bucky knows more about the sinister outer circle than Steve realized. And now, something is stalking Captain America through the streets of Manhattan, putting everyone who crosses paths with Steve in danger. I love me an invisible threat. Going to be real interesting to see how this pulls out. Next up, we have Batman number 127. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by George Jimenez and Belen Ortega. And, I mean, Batman's been great. It's been really good. The failsafe storyline is still... I have still have no idea what's going on, but I'm very excited to find out. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. With brutal efficiency, Failsafe hunts the Dark Knight, leaving a trail of injured heroes. Batman retreats to the manor as he prepares for a final assault. Will the last few surprises he has in store be enough? And in the backup, Catwoman reaches a shocking conclusion in her search. So yeah, that's right. The Catwoman backup has been really interesting as well, looking after Penguin's heirs and... All this weird inheritance will stuff. It's been very cool. I've been really enjoying this book so far. Next up, we have Immortal X-Men number six. This is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Lucas Werneck. This is another Judgment Day tie-in. Very interested to continue on this story. All of Judgment Day has been fantastic. And especially the X-Men tie-ins so far have been really, really strong. So I'm excited to see how this measures up to the previous ones. Uh, Synopsis goes like this. Stand for judgment. Judgment comes and the quiet council grows suspiciously quiet. An exception. Do you think a man so devoted to the hellfire cares one jot? Let's find out. Interesting. We definitely, uh, I mean, we've got Sebastian Shaw front and center on the cover. It's going to be, I think it's going to be really interesting to see who gets like everyone's obviously getting judged but who they focus on getting judged we had in the last uh x-men book cyclops getting judged and he gets the thumbs up because nobody but his wife can judge him and (laughs) i just thought that was so cool and we do know that in the next x-men book that gene gray is going to be judged so is sebastian shaw getting judged here and is it going to be anything other than a thumbs down like come on It's got to be a thumbs down on Shaw, right? So next up, we have the new champion of Shazam, number two. This is written by Josie Campbell with art by Doc Evan Shaner. And I, I mean, what's not to love? The book has been fantastic for for like what I really, really wanted it to be. Um, It's just, I mean, come on. It's it's a great, great book. I really enjoyed the first issue. I am hoping that we continue on that role. It's, I, I don't know, man. I, I really like it. I really like this idea. I really like the story. I love Mary Marvel. I love the whole, I mean, the whole Shazam family. And it looks like they are going to be front and center on here owing to, you know, what happened at the end of the first issue. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Mary is back home in the city of brotherly love, and she's feeling nothing but hate. 
Not only did she have to leave her dream school, but now she's the caretaker of her siblings and a city that is skeptical about the new hero in town. Everyone wants a piece of Shazam, and superpowered misfits are lining up to take her on. When her world is falling apart, can our hero keep it together? I think if anybody can, it's Mary. Mary Marvel is uh, more than equipped to deal with this stuff, so we'll just have to see what they've got in store for her. Next up, we have... AXE Death to the Mutants number two. This is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Guyu Villanova. I am r- really sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly. Uh, but the first Death to the Mutants was really good. And I can only assume this is, this is going to continue on the streak. So let's dive into this. The Celestials said correct excess deviation. Now the Hour of Judgment is upon the Eternals. Have they done enough? And does overcompensating at this late hour make it better or make it worse? That is an interesting cho- that is an interesting question, and I'm very excited to see what the answer to that is. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths number four. This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Daniel Sampier. And honestly, stupid name conventions aside, Dark Crisis has been really strong. I've been really enjoying it. Each issue has been just upping the ante. And I've been really, I've been enjoying this as much as uh, Judgment Day. DC is putting out two really strong event books right now. And it's been a while since we've had both companies putting out strong event books at the same time. So enjoy it while you can. But let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Witness the birth of the new DC multiverse. Spinning out of the pages of The Flash, the heroes have learned the secret of Pariah's new worlds. But at what cost does this knowledge come, and what can they even do with this information? Or even worse, perhaps Pariah and the Great Darkness want them to know. On Earth-Zero, Deathstroke continues to move forward with his plans to erase legacy heroics once and for all, while John Kent, Nightwing, and the ragtag group of youngsters rally to step up to the increasing number of challenges. The event of the year rages on. In this issue, Pariah's attempt to restore the infinite multiverse reaches a breaking point. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's big time. Big time stakes, big time action, big time heroics, so I'm very excited to pick this up for sure. But that is going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we've got She-Hulk, number six, Dark Knights of Steel, Tales from the Three Kingdoms, number one, Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, number four, Batman, number 127, Immortal X-Men, number six, The New Champion of Shazam, number two, AXE, Death to the Mutants, number two, and Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, number four. A really strong week of comics. So go out and get them. It's new comic book day. Go! And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to the podcast on the platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and especially subscriptions really does help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space, raises up our stock, and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on 
on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it. I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write literally whatever you want. I will be forced to read it. If you give me those five stars, the sky is the limit. You can write whatever you want. And you'll be able to join the likes of our Red 13, including Seafire ND, Josh Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, Alock and AZ, Sass, and Jedi Jesse 20. Want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. If you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here. And if you want to keep up to date with us, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at GeeksplainedPod. That's at GeeksplainedPod. Lots of stuff that we've been talking about, lots of stuff to talk about on the Twitter and the social media spaces. So make sure you follow us there. I want to say a huge thank you to Maddie for coming on the episode. It was a wonderful, wonderful wonderful uh, conversation we had also congrats to them on their nuptials between recording and when we're releasing this maddie got married so make sure you send them all the well wishes and congratulations hope the uh married life is treating them very very well and finally uh this friday Geeksplained Book Club. We are back doing the Ultimate Spider-Man Saga. I, alongside my amazing friends Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, every single Friday are going through every single volume of Ultimate Spider-Man. Last week, we kicked off this new era of the book with Ultimate Comics Spider-Man Volume 1. This Friday, we're going to be doing Ultimate Comics Spider-Man Volume 2, a.k.a. Chameleons. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, Bendis and David LaFuente are doing great great work on this book that released years ago uh but we're really enjoying it we've been enjoying reviewing it every single week so uh do your reading it's issues 7 through 14 and uh join us on friday for the geek explained book club be there or be square not a circle but uh that is going to do it for this week's episode next week we're going to roll right on into season two of batman the animated series and i will be joined by good brother and returning guest doug from the for every kind of geek youtube channel it's always wonderful to have doug on the show so tune in next week for that same geek time same geek channel but for now for the geek explained book club and for saturday morning september i've been erica zana thank you very much for listening Stay safe, and we will see you next time.